0: Hi, this is Sex Ed Debunked, a cross-generational podcast hosted by mother-daughter duo Christine and Shannon Curley.
1: Every episode, we tackle a new myth about sex, sexuality, and pleasure, and use research and expert insights
0: to debunk stereotypes and misinformation from the bedroom and beyond. In 2022, we won the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists Award for Best Podcast, and also managed to not totally freak out our family and friends along the way. We believe in healthy, sex-positive, pleasure-focused sex education, backed by real research and real experience. Follow
1: us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at sexeddebunked, or email us at sexeddebunked at gmail.com to share your sex miseducation tales and the myths you'd like to hear us debunk. Thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome to Sex Ed Debunked, a cross-generational podcast about sex positivity, sexual health, and why porn is really just the tip of online sex culture.
0: Cute, Shannon. (laughs) On today's episode... We're talking about sex and the internet, but before we jump into our topic this week, we realize that we both had a hella week last week, and we want to take this time to wish you all, our loyal listeners, Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Wait, don't sound. Ready? Happy oh. New Year! <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: really embarrassing. Sorry to all of our listeners. Um, yeah, so welcome to 2023. Uh Excited we all made it. Sorry, we ghosted you for a couple of weeks there. Um, it's been a wild couple of weeks for Christina, and myself, between holidays and COVID days and relationship days and just just in a general days, actually. But we are back and we are hopefully better than ever. So um, to get our... our- Happy, to back.
0: Happy to be back. And man, oh man, do we have some good topics for 2023 that I think um, that are, have been suggested by a lot of our listeners um, that are going to be, uh, we've got stuff about asexuality that we'll be willing to do sexuality and pain and some really basic stuff like Shannon, you talking about, um, relationships and how
1: is there <laughs> anything, but basic.
0: <laughs> well, and, and, and sometimes how the beginning, the, the beginning of a new year is really tough on relationships and how that affects your brain. So we've got a lot of good ideas moving forward as always, always looking to have your, um, suggestions. But we've got some good stuff on the schedule that hopefully, now that the new year is beginning, everyone wants to shake off the dust of the party dust and the glitter and just party kind of dust. I
1: haven't the- done that since college. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, hey, I just mean like let's put our best foot forward and um, on to the next adventure, right, Jen?
1: That's exactly right. So today's topic, um, we are talking about sex and the internet. Um, a few years late for YTK, but still important. So. We've talked about the internet a ton, because of course we have, um, even in our earlier episodes, right. We talked about sex education from the internet, right. Which
0: <laughs> it could be better, but it could be worse. It could be worse. Um, but you know, we, the internet, we all acknowledge has infiltrated our lives in so many ways and some are positive and some are negative, but overall, I think we can acknowledge Shannon that the internet can be a tremendous resource, um, even for sexuality and sex education, as long as you are very, very mindful that you're using credible resources, like our podcast, um, but others that are connected to really well-recognized and credible um, news sources, medical sources, things like Healthline. Um, If you go to those places, the internet gives you access to information that before that would have required a phone call or a trip to the library. um, Things that I know seem quite antiquated to many of you out there.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. But then of course, on the flip side, because there is, So much information on the internet, you do, to your point, have to proceed with some caution and proceed with some understanding of what is real information and what is fake information. Um, And similarly, you know, we've talked about the internet and and my personal story, and I know it's a story a lot of my friends and my community share of the internet being a great place to, um, you know, meet new people and explore your sexuality and explore your identity, and so that can be again very good and positive, but also you have to be safe about it and you have to make sure that you're protecting yourself because there is a lot of scary black holes of the internet as well.
0: And, but you're right, Shannon. The internet has um, allowed for the creation of chat rooms and support groups that before the internet, you know, you had to find somebody in your neighborhood or find somebody in your local community or someone in your state. And now you can reach out literally across the entire globe and find people who share your thoughts, share your proclivities, um, share your diversity that you can feel because of the Internet in a lot of ways that that you're not alone. And and in a lot of ways, the Internet is uh, less isolating and allows mm-hmm. us to be connected. But there's a flip side, right, Shannon?
1: Yes, this is going to be an episode of yes, and, <laughs> and, and yes, but um... And it's, it's funny because, you know, I think at its base, a lot of us understand that the internet, that sex lives on the internet, right? We, we do get that. But even just breaking it down into like the most basic beginnings of the internet with like, you know, or not even the internet, but like using a calculator to spell out the word boobs. Like people will just, <laughs> people will just use whatever tools they have at their disposal to explore whatever they want to explore. But, you know, from body parts made out of punctuation marks to the development of fan fiction and fanfic art online, like Deviant art was a huge thing for a while. And that was fanfic art um, to like interactive pornography. The internet is, and really has been always offering new ways to view and experience sex and sexuality. Sometimes not for the best, but it's absolutely been a platform for basically its entire existence. It's been a platform for exploration.
0: It has. And as we've said before, not all positive, not all negative, definitely a mixed bag. Um, But as you know, you know, I like to talk about the academic side of things and, you know, the academic side of things is a lot of the research is not so much centered around sexuality per se, but the thing that drives our sexuality and Mm -hmm. the, the biggest thing for many of us that drives our sexuality is our body image. And body image has been driven by the internet in terms of what we as a society think is sexy Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: um although my generation is not as converse in instagram most of the academic research shannon is about instagram and how the quest for instagram likes has negatively impacted body image and although much of the research centered around women women identified individuals and people um more research more recently is actually acknowledging that the Instagram phenomenon has negatively impacted all genders
1: um, mm-hmm. and what's what's interesting about that um I mean there's a lot of things right, but I studied this too when I was getting my master's in communications. We studied a lot of you know social media specifically and how that impacts you know, body image, things like that. And um, I think it was maybe a year ago, year and a half ago that Instagram experimented with um, getting rid of the likes counter. And so that, that was sort of the way that, you know, a lot of these articles talked about how people were striving for affirmation through Instagram likes, you know, did did someone like my photo? How many times did they like my photo? Did they like every one of my photos Did they like my story? And Instagram actually acknowledged some of the backlash of that being negative for um, users body image. And now um, it used to be on Instagram that it would say, you know, 38 people have liked your photo or a thousand people have liked your photo. Now it lists the most, two most recent people and it says, and others. And oh, they've right. changed their, their lexicon that way because they realized that something as simple as changing it from numerated likes to just generalized likes actually would have a more positive impact on user experience. So it's really interesting because it, when, a, you know, when Instagram itself responds and says, okay, let's try to fix it, then, you know, it really is a problem.
0: Well, and and the so I'm going to dive a little bit into psychology because I am a social psychologist by nature. Aside from the likes on Instagram, one of the things that that academics do research is something called social comparison theory. And this is this is like the OG Leon Festinger says that we as social animals that we are, we compare ourselves to others. And what Instagram has done is created an environment where we are socially comparing ourselves to people that we don't even know. So before the internet, you would compare yourselves, and I'm sure everyone's very familiar with this, you compare yourself for your peers. The classic, you know, high school cliques, there were always high school groups, and you compare yourself to the other popular kids or the other uh, theater kids or the other athletes. Well, the internet has created This huge fishbowl of social comparison where we can compare ourselves and the people who use Instagram to compare ourselves to others are suffering because they cannot, they do not feel that they can meet that standard. The standard, whether it's a standard of, am I sexy or not enough? Am I physically fit enough? Am I pretty enough? Do I wear the right clothes? Do I look buff enough? All of that is a function of something called social comparison theory. And it has exacerbated what we already do as humans. Because what we try to do as humans is to compare ourselves to like others, to make ourselves feel better. And what some of the research is showing is that the Instagram is setting such a high bar, creating this unrealistic expectation of what sexuality should be, is this upward comparison is making people, especially women, feel like they're falling short. It's,
1: yeah. Well, so I was thinking as you were were talking, I was thinking about the premise of catfishing. Mm. Right. And, and catfishing only became a thing when the internet became a thing. Um, but for anyone who doesn't know, I'm sure most people know what catfishing is at this point, but catfishing in the context of the internet and in the context of, uh, relationships is when, um, someone will use another person's photos and images and videos. And basically, I mean, not even basically will just steal their identity and use it. Um, as a way to make a connection with other people and there is a whole tv series about this that is multiple seasons in there was a movie about this but a lot of it when they you know what they do when they catch a catfish right which is when they'll like go track them down and find out who it really is 99 percent of the time the response to well why did you catfish this person why didn't you feel like you couldn't just be yourself it's right. always I looked at every other dating profile that was on there. I looked at every other person that was on the internet. I looked at every other person that was in that chat room and I I knew I couldn't compare. So that's why I use the image of a a more attractive, quote unquote, more attractive person, a more conventionally attractive person. And it's always very sad. You know, it's, it's entertainment, quote unquote, in that it's a TV show. But it's the sad reality of so many of these people who, because you know what the saddest part is, is that they still fall in love with the personality. But it doesn't work because they're, they lie about what they look like in their appearance. And so to me, that is such a great example, a sad example, but a great example of the power of the internet. And exactly what you're saying with social comparison is that when you see what other people are out there, it's really hard to not use other people and reflect it back onto yourself and compare yourself.
0: Well, and I think it kind of goes to what you're saying too about this, the the Instagram, you know, trying to take away the likes and things like that, that there's, there's, there has been a trend recently of understanding that the images that are posted on social media and the images that are posted on Instagram and other sites are not actually real life, that people are, are airbrushing themselves and Photoshopping themselves and showing themselves in, their absolute, refined, made-up, perfect pose, and that we as humans, real people, there aren't a lot of real people that actually look like that <laughs> or act like that or behave like that. And um, one of the things that we like to talk about is we can change what we feel about those social comparisons by understanding that kind of apropos of your catfishing story that who we are fundamentally is still going to be more true, more real, more valid than what we think we need to compare ourselves to. And although we talk about the internet being a fantastic resource, I think we need to really be careful that it shouldn't be what we strive for.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that goes back to when we did our interview with, um, Nikki, Nikki Davis Bloom, uh, right. Fairbloom, when we talked about pornography and whether porn is real sex, and a lot of what Nikki talked about when we interviewed her was like. Yeah, there are elements of porn, and there is actually really good porn out there that are true to life, and that will encourage you know fantasies and experimentation and exploration, and that can be great. But the flip side of that is you you're not seeing the edits, you're not seeing the cleanup crew that comes in in between, you're not you know you're not seeing that the sounds getting edited out because you know someone made a weird noise or whatever. You know, like <laughs> <For> the mess. <laughs> you have to you know you can't approach anything without context i think is a lot of what it comes down to is you know you can appreciate the style of an influencer on instagram without expecting that you're going to look exactly like them because you also know that they have a filter on you can appreciate you know whatever's going on in the pornography whether it's you know ooh like getting tied up but maybe you don't think that it's going to result in an orgasm in 3 seconds you know like right. you can take certain things away from it as like oh i'd like to try that without thinking that it's the standard
0: mhm and and i think there's where where sex in the internet um Sometimes it is real sex. Sometimes it's fantasy. Sometimes it's something you might want to aspire to. Um, remember Nan, Nan Pierce talked in, in the fall on one of our episodes about you know using things like what you find in a podcast that might be on the internet, not necessarily ours, but there's other out there that are really good, um, but also a video, but using that as a resource, as a springboard for conversation and connection and communication with the person that you're with. Not saying I want you to do this per se, but hey, what do you think about this? And and that quote unquote this might be something that you would not be able to get exposed to but for having the internet as a resource.
1: Absolutely. And that's, you know, and that's again, that's where the pros come in is the pros and cons of the internet, sex and the internet and the internet and sex is that it has Throughout its history, the internet has allowed for more creativity and more sharing. And while that has had its negative impacts in a lot of ways, you know, there are also so many stories of queer communities, poly communities, um, you know, anyone you can think of really who, who might have some sort of quote unquote difference in how they approach sex or sexuality. And the internet is, and can be a place where those stories are shared and it does help quote unquote, normalize that experience. And that is really beneficial. Um,
0: so, we were really fortunate shannon to um there to find an author who's actually an expert in this um because although we can talk about how how sex how the internet has impacted sex, one of the things that I find fascinating about this the book, "How Sex Changed the Internet and the Internet Changed Sex is the first part how much sex drove the technology around the internet and around what we are now influenced by. And I don't know about you, Shannon, but I'm certainly not a technological expert.
1: <laughs> no, no. And, and as we love to do on the show, we do love to bring in people who know more about subjects than we do. Um, and I think, I, I think it was like, I, I, this might be a total misattribution of this quote, but I think Coco Chanel was the one that said, everything in the world is about sex, except sex, which is about power. Oh. Uh um,
0: right, we might need to have to do a follow up to figure out who that quote was from. I
1: think it, it really is. was Chanel though because yeah. Um but anyway, the quote stands regardless of attribution, but I will find the correct attribution. But that was something I thought about a lot when we did this interview because everything in the world is about sex. It, it just is. is. It just it's is. True. So we did bring um Samantha Cole. She is a tech journalist. Um she just came out with this book as we mentioned um, just this year, actually. So her new book is called how sex changed the internet and the internet changed sex. Um, she's been interviewed by vanity fair. She's been interviewed by a few other publications, and we were lucky enough to have her on our show. So tune in for that clip.
0: Hi, uh, here we have with us today, Samantha Cole, who has worked in journalism for over 10 years and is based in New York City, and she currently works for Motherboard. She's a technology journalist, and we have her here on the podcast to talk about her new book, How Sex Changed the Internet and the Internet Changed Sex. Welcome, Samantha. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, we're excited that you're here. This is a topic we are super, super interested in and have actually been like chomping at the bit to have an expert talk about, so we definitely appreciate you taking the time.
2: Fantastic! So, uh, I'm so excited to get started. <laughs> this is
0: so great. So first, I want to say, um, just skimming through your book is a fascinating, both in terms of the subject matter and the data you compiled. About We're the inter-working big data students. nerds over <laughs> here. <laughs> that's Here's so great. Academic nerds. Um, <laughs> but really, what what struck me is this: the second part of your title, that's kind of hidden in the dark, is how. The Internet Changed Sex.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I I was, I, was actually, I didn't even consider like the way that the design of the cover was, but until I received it, that it was going to be like this kind of, you have to see it from a current, a certain angle to see the second half of the title, which I think That's is right, so... Yeah fun. And I don't know if that was an intentional choice by the designers. I assume it was because they were fantastic. Um, but having to kind of see, um, you know, how sex changed the internet and then the internet changed sex from this very, like, you have to shift it. You have to shift your perspective to mm-hmm. really see it. Um, which I think is really fun. It's maybe yeah, a corny metaphor, true. but I like it. <laughs>
0: it's also helpful. You have the little peach on there. So that yeah,
2: I pushed for the peach. Dry. I wanted the peach. Yeah. I needed that peach to be on there. <laughs> I needed the
1: peach. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the so I think like the first chapter of the first part of the book, uh, the is called "The Internet Was Built on Sex," and I think that's a really interesting kind of foray into the rest of the topic of the book. But what does that mean? What do you mean by that? The internet was built on sex.
2: Yeah. So um, I explained this kind of in the the first words of the book, um, you know, about how people were developing the early internet um, with like ARPANET and things like that. Um, they, you when Al Gore look,
0: made the internet?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, contrary to popular belief, Al Gore did not invent the internet. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the people who were designing it early on, um, the first operating system and the first kind of platforms that they were using to send the first message, uh, through the internet was called, uh, there was an, uh, protocol called SetX, um, which they shortened to SEX. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, oh, that's really, like, that's probably a really corny, like, nerdy joke for, um, you know, internet programmers. But I thought it was so appropriate because then you get to the actual reasons why the internet was built on sex. It's, um, you know, the, the platforms and the the ways that we used to communicate with each other very early on immediately turned to the sexual um, and how to express ourselves sexually, how to connect with each other sexually, uh, romantically, whatever it was um so yeah i think just from going from that standpoint where you know some of the earliest earliest ways that we we really interacted were through communication about sex and gender and sexuality and things like that um through the internet mm-hmm. so. it's, it, don't you think it's ironic that now we cannot say
0: sex on the internet
2: yeah it world? is so ironic it's so funny to watch it's not funny like in a funny way it's you know it sucks but um <laughs> Being on TikTok and people spelling sex, S-E-G-G-S. Yep. Um, because they, if you say sex on TikTok, you'll get, you have risk getting kicked off or banned. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, we run into it's the like, same
1: with, the, with advertising. Obviously, the name of our podcast is Sex Ed Debunked. So we're constantly yeah. having to go ways to say the name of our own show in order to not be censored.
2: <laughs> yeah, sex education has been, it's, you know, it's a huge way that sex has been um Censored online, as you very well know, is you know mm-hmm. you can't can't get the word out about certain things because you can't you have to diffuse and um, you know kind of obfuscate what you're really talking about behind mm-hmm. the scenes. So yeah, right, it just adds to the confusion
0: ultimately. That's great, right. right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I want to explore a little bit though what the second half meant, and and I was really um, taken by the fact that um, racism, fat phobia, and sex negativity is
2: actually embedded in the internet and the algorithms. Yikes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we see that playing out with um, social media a lot. So a lot of the Mm. algorithms, um, you know, they were designed with kind of a default Mm. user in mind. And of course the defaults in society, uh, in American society anyway, is, um, you know, like the so-called conventionally attractive. So we're talking about like heteronormative, yep. white, thin, <laughs> um, neurotypical, uh, you know, it's, it's all of these kind of ideas of what is like the normal person. Mm-hmm, right. um, and then everything else gets kind of pushed to the side or, you know, downranked by these algorithms, um, and then when we're talking about, um, you know, the, the adult industry and then porn, um, a lot of the times these algorithms are literally, they mean people's livelihoods. It's like, if your content can't make it to, um, the top of my free camps, for instance, then you'll never get seen. Um, if it doesn't float to the top of, you know, Twitter, you'll never get right. discovered. Yeah. Um, so
0: Samantha, I mean, I, I am not a tech geek who sets these algorithms? Like who is the one that decided that curvy isn't sexy or that short isn't sexy? Like who made these decisions in setting up the patriarchy, the hegemony, the,
2: (laughs) yeah, a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, A A lot lot of things are at play. Um, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different systems are definitely working against all of those things. Um, and yeah, so we, like the designers of these uh, algorithms are overwhelmingly white men, um, yeah. you that's, know, working in Silicon talking? Valley. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's news to everybody here. Um, it's, you know, it's people who um, are living in like a specific place, you know, usually like Silicon Valley or, um, you know, it's it's people who think that, you know, they know what people want. Um, and then it, from that kind of standpoint, the algorithms then are basically trying to reflect what you are into back to you. Okay. But if all they're showing you at first is you know, the, the default, uh, the normal, quote unquote normal, um, then that's all you're going to get over and over and over um, until you start to try to break out of that intentionally and say, I'm going to manipulate the algorithm on my own. Um, and say, I'm going to start liking and sharing and commenting on things that are outside of the like quote unquote accepted normal.
1: Um, right. Which it brings up, you know, in the context of your book, of course, this idea that technology is not objective. No, technology it's not neutral. Extremely subjective. Right. And the best example that I give with, you know, how do we know the algorithms are racist or sexist or whatever is is stock photography. Mm-hmm. Anytime you Google, you know, a boss or an executive on a stock photography website, it's always a white man that shows up and you have to put in. To your point. You have to search the term black woman executive. Right. You want to get a picture of a black woman in an executive yeah. role, but the default right. will always be executive. Okay. It's a white set says het man.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or like doctor um, mm-hmm. lawyer. It's all of these kind of like power positions that um get assumed to be a certain type of person. And that type of person is always a white man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so exactly. yeah, it's that shows up definitely in the ways that we consume uh, sexual content online. Right. Sure.
1: So there's a lot of negativity, obviously, but um, that's not all you talk about in your book. There's obviously negative things that we should be aware of and algorithms and biases to be aware of, but there's also a, a community that Mm -hmm. is built. Um, so I think, you know, we got to give a little bit of credence to the positive aspects of how the internet has changed sex. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that to start.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, um, I, for all of the kind of, I write about, um, I write, I do news reporting during the day, just my normal job. Um, and a lot of it is very negative and scary and because the news is very negative and scary a lot of the times. Yeah. Um, Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, writing this book, I felt really optimistic uh, by the end of it and really encouraged by just the history of how these things were developed because, Um, you know, they were developed from a place of people looking for community, people looking for like-minded people, people going through the same thing, identifying the same way, um, you know, looking to feel less alone. And I think that has been the biggest positive of the internet as it relates to sex in general is, um, you know, people who are able to discover, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not alone. I'm not in this by myself. I, it's okay to like what I like. It's okay to be who yeah. I am because there are other people uh, mm-hmm. like me you out know, there. That's, that's so important, Sam, because we do have such a negative view.
0: And and as a researcher in psychology, all we see is research about the negative aspects of social media and the internet and the positive aspects are, are really important. And along those lines, one of the things, other things I found fascinating is that you found that people were exploring their gender fluidity and sexual fluidity in the context of these artificial worlds. I mean,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. People. Um, so in the, at least in the early days, um, you know, you would have these purely text-based worlds that you could describe what you want to be. Um, via text, and you could you, you could describe whatever you want. You could assign yourself a gender. You could just say, you know, I'm something completely like no one has invented yet, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you, know, you could be something totally outside of yourself. And people use that as a way to explore um, feelings that they had or experiences they were already having in real life. A lot of the times, uh, mm-hmm. in a world that was safe to do so. Um and then we see that kind of in the modern day with um like role playing games, um like I mm-hmm. talk to people who did it in like, like World of Warcraft, um yeah. and you know, a lot of these kind of these spaces that um it's okay to uh you know, express yourself as a gender that you aren't uh you know right. expressing so in real life
1: yet. Yeah. Even like something really basic, like easy, like, you know, it's always been okay in video games to play Mario if you want to play. It doesn't matter if you're a girl, you can play him. Go ahead and play Link, right? So there has always been sort of like permissions to play as someone else in video games and online.
2: Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, it's a really great venue to explore that before they're ready to explore it in real life, before it feels safe enough to do so. And then they Mm -hmm. can have the confidence to say, okay, that is actually something that I relate to in myself, um, I'm ready to bring it out into the world and uh, yeah, yeah. You know, see if my real life community is into it. And if they're not, it's okay because I feel confident and I feel like I'm on the right path here.
1: Yeah. yeah there's this very interesting escalator from like online gaming to role play to like yeah. comic-con to then maybe I
0: just like <laughs> this yeah, <laughs> right? The pipeline. Yeah. exactly, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's Yeah. funny. laughs> so, I a couple more questions, as I know your time is short. Um, so, question: Has the internet, in your opinion, done more harm or more good for sex and sex education?
2: That's a tough question. I feel like that probably varies no matter who you ask. Um, Mm -hmm. I, again, I'm kind of an optimist about the internet in general. I wouldn't spend so much time on it and studying it if I was, you know, this sucks, get me out of here mode all the time. I am a lot of days, Um, but you know, I think on, yeah, everyone kind of, I think does uh, have a little bit of both in them. Um, But I think overall it's been, um, you know, a net positive, Um, I think the things that the internet has given to, um, you know, marginalized communities and people who aren't represented in, um, you know, day-to-day life can have a voice, can, um, you know, as much as the algorithms try to keep it from happening, uh, you know, it's, these are the ways that, you know, people can express themselves online uh, with a platform that they didn't have before. Um,
0: So I think think it's good. What I'm
2: hearing too, is that we can change the algorithms. You know, this yeah. is popular,
0: right? We can change exactly. the algorithms.
2: We <laughs> yeah. can change the future. We can change the way that this is all going. It doesn't all, and we have changed it even mm-hmm. so far. I mean, it's, it's all kind of shifting towards um, a more, you know, uh, I guess, egalitarian kind of uh, view of things, I think, because these algorithms are listening to what we're into. And if we're into lots of different things and we find lots of things sexy, then they ultimately reflect that back to us. Um, so yeah, it just gets tough when you have, you know, like extreme censorship and, uh, things like, you know, you can't say sex on TikTok and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, for example. (laughs) But those of us who know that have figured out to just look for segs instead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There are workarounds. Yeah. Yeah, We'll (laughs) have whole new words in the English language by the time this is all over. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but
0: we'll know the language and that's what's important. (laughs) Yeah.
2: We'll popularize the
1: new lexicon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the future of sex on the internet in your perspective then is is positive and optimistic and full of opportunity.
2: I think so. I hope so. I mean, I it's definitely going to be a hard road. I think it can be, let me put it that way. Yeah. It can go that direction. Um I just think it's going to take, you know, humans who care about these things to manipulate it in that direction. You know, we have to push yeah. it that way. If it's left to its own devices, then it'll just be, you know, like homogenized, sterilized, mm-hmm. censored, um, what the advertisers like and that's boring. <laughs>
0: are, there, are
1: there any specific or particular sort of movements you've seen started on the internet that you think are, you know, interesting lending themselves towards the future of sex online? Yeah. Um, hmm.
2: That's a good question. Um, I think so when I get, I don't know if this is a movement, but it was definitely like a moment. Um, but when OnlyFans was like, we're going to kick explicit content off. A couple no, years don't. ago. Um yes. and that was kind of like a big moment where it was like OnlyFans is for porn. That's what like wrong. they can right. yeah, that's like McDonald's yeah. saying they're gonna go vegan. Right. Yeah. It's like it's not gonna it's not gonna work. Yeah. Um and they were like, We're doing this, deal with it. Um, it's it's happening. And then it was so much pushback from the public mm-hmm. and from people who use the site, people who work on the site, um, who use it for a living, who consume the content, journalists, like people who were mm-hmm. writing about uh, the economy and finance were suddenly like writing about sex work, <laughs> which is yeah. funny for me to see. Um, but you know, this huge pushback where it was like, no, we're not doing this. This is not happening. This sucks. Um, you guys are fucked. If you do this, like it's right. not going to happen. Um, and then only fans backpedaled. They were like, actually, no, y- you can stay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, the explicit content can, can stay. And I think that's an example of like, it takes like it takes that much force to get a company like of that size to change, um, but they will. To, and but they will. They will actually listen if money is on the line um so that's well but
1: but on the internet money is almost always on the line so it almost always is
2: power there than than some people might think that the internet is for making money at this point (laughs) so yeah Yeah. it's you know it's you know it's huge for like community and for for expression but it's also like it's a money-making machine like we want to really uh, thank you for taking the time to meet with us today and uh,
0: discussing your book. Once again, the book is How Sex Changed the Internet and The Internet Changed Sex. Looking thank forward you. to reading cover to cover. <laughs> thank you so much. That means so much. Thanks. The myth today was that sex and the internet aren't deeply intertwined. But the truth is that without sex, the internet would have had a much slower and less creative start. And without the internet, there would be limitations to understandings of sex and sexuality around the world.
1: Of course, there are pros and cons to consider as author Samantha Cole walked us through, but the main takeaway is this, the internet remains a scary, but fascinating uh, and wildly helpful, if not occasionally alarming place to learn about sex and sexuality. So um, proceed with caution and also with curiosity.
0: And curiosity is a good thing as long as we're mindful of the resources that we're looking at so that's another myth put to bed thank you to our listeners for coming back in the new year and we are looking forward to keeping our mutual education going strong
1: and keep tuning in weekly for new episodes of sex ed debunked and give us a follow at sex ed debunked on instagram facebook and twitter bye for now bye now
0: Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of Sex Ed Debunked. During the course of our podcast, we have limited time together, which means that unfortunately, many identities, groups, and movements may not be represented each week. The field of sexuality and gender orientations, identities, and behaviors are changing and growing rapidly, and we remain committed to being as inclusive as possible. Please remember that all of us, including us,
1: are learning in this area and may occasionally slip up. We ask that we all continue to be kind to one another so that we can create a truly inclusive and accepting environment. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us at Sex Ed Debunked on Instagram,
0: Facebook, and Twitter. Sex Ed Debunked is produced by Trailblaze Media in Providence, Rhode Island. Our sound producer is Ezra Winters with production assistance from Shay Weintraub.